Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 299. Welcome in. I'm wearing the Hawaiian shirt today. Had a rough week. Talked about it in the last episode. Not going to dive into it anymore. Um, I will say that to kind of quell my depression this week, I watched a TV show on Netflix called Queen's Gambit. It's a limited series. There's only seven episodes. It's based on a book about a a female chess player in the 1960s. Oh, my goodness. That gets the the, the oh, my goodness rating, I guess, which is just to say it's really, really good. I love it. If you want to watch it, I recommend it. Kind of, I I got, this is a weird thought, but I, watching Queen's Gambit made me feel the same feelings I do when I watch Avatar or Star Wars or like a science fiction movie in space because the world I was watching a woman playing chess, uh, an orphan in 1960s, uh, the Cold War era. Like, I, I just, that's a world I'll never experience. I don't know anything about chess. I'm not a woman. It was just, I saw a lot of stuff. I'm like, oh, I, I'm never going to experience this. And I got to see a whole different side of the world. Uh, and fun, interesting, really cool, really well done show. I am super excited for today's episode. We have one topic today that might be, ah, could be polarizing. Who knows? I want to start today with this, though. This is a story that made me very, very happy last night as I was sitting in front of my TV. You may or may not know, two weeks ago, in the opening game for Maryland, Talia Tungavaloa had three interceptions. They lost really bad. They only scored three points. Maryland did. And um, I uniquely root for Talia Tungavaloa. First of all, he's from the Tungavaloa family, and I think that I mean, the, the Manning family gets a lot of love in the world of football. They're one of the more famous and prominent families in football. I think the Tongue of Aloha family is very, very criminally underrated. They are phenomenal. I really like them. They're good, warm people from Hawaii. They support their children. They moved to Alabama for Tua. I, they just seem like a really endearing, warm family. So anybody from their family, I tend to, I just, I like them. I root for them. Uh, there's a reason I wear Hawaiian shirts. I love Hawaiian culture, and I, I just am... Uh, I really, really like their family. I think they're awesome. Now, their little brother, Talia, uh, I think has somewhat of a difficult journey because he's Tua Tungvaloa's younger brother. Tua, top draft pick in the NFL, you know, starting his first game on Sunday, by the way, for the Dolphins. It's a hard road. When your brother, older brother is really famous and really successful and you're doing the same thing your brother did, it's hard. People are going to compare Talia his whole life and his whole career to Tua and it's, it's a brutal thing he's taken on. And so I actually, moving forward, when I talk about Talia, I have introduced you to Talia Tungavaloa. It's to his little brother. I don't want to reference his older brother ever again, or very rarely when I talk about Talia, because I, everybody's going to be comparing them. And everybody's going to be talking about how he's to his little brother. And I want him to be Talia rather than being to his little brother. If that makes sense. I really, I, I feel for the guy. You, know, you may or may not know, four years ago, my younger brother died, committed suicide. And I, I just have a heart for little brothers. Younger brothers have a, a special place in my heart, especially a guy who I think has a hard journey ahead of him. Being the younger brother of an uber-successful dude, um, I, I really I feel for Talia. And I got to say, man, I was so excited watching the guy play on Friday night. So two weeks ago, Maryland's opening game, played horrible, had three interceptions, and I, I went, oh, no. I, I'm rooting for this kid. I love the family. I love the older brother. I have a heart for his story. He's a younger brother. And he's playing, he played badly. And I'm like, oh, oh no. 
is this going to go south? Is Talia not going to work out at Maryland? I, my myself, I panicked a little bit, and this game was a good lesson. On Friday night, Maryland beat Minnesota forty-five to forty-four in overtime. Talia had five touchdowns, three passing, two rushing, and this game is a great reminder why you cannot judge a player on just one game. It's just not a big enough sample size. If a player is amazing and kills it on one game, great. If a player is not good in one game, it's, that's also okay because it's just too limited of a sample size to judge a player. And I almost wonder if Talia, in a tough matchup, maybe he was nervous in that first game. Uh, what I saw on Friday night against Minnesota, Talia looked like a NFL quarterback. He had to throw a seam ball down the right, you know, the right inside, you know, right seam ball down the right uh, at the end of the fourth quarter, like a back shoulder ball, perfect location. I went, wow, that's just a great throw. And I, I was really impressed with Talia. And I, like, I hope I'm saying the name right, Talia. So I've always said it, so I've heard it said, so I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, and Maryland was down 38-21 to 21 at the beginning of the fourth quarter. They were down 17 points. And they came back. And they did it because of their quarterback, Talia Tagovailoa. That's awesome. That made me so happy. Uh, really cool comeback. You know, Minnesota missed the extra point in overtime to make would have been 45-45. As a result, Maryland wins because of that miss. And, uh, oh, man, I just, you know, been a roller coaster already. Two weeks into Talia's career as a starting quarterback in college. Week one, they get destroyed. And I went, oh, no. I was afraid. Is it going to go badly? And week two, you know, the second game of the year for Maryland has given me a lot of hope. Oh, he'll be okay. Like, I, what I saw, I, I, we saw undeniable talent against Minnesota that I go, yeah, there, you know, the Loxley, the head coach, Mike Loxley, the head coach of Maryland was nothing but calm and fine. And after the bad start of the year, he's like, oh, Tolly will be okay. No worries. He was very calm, cool, and collected and unwaveringly supportive of Tolly Tungavaloa, which is rare. I mean, really cool to see. And there's a reason for that because Talia is really good. And I, I, what I saw against Minnesota, I go, this guy, Clearly, decision-making, accuracy, talent, it's all there. It feels more like week one is a fluke, and this is who he really is, a really good quarterback, because week one, missing throws, weird decisions. I just look like a nervous quarterback, a nervous guy playing in his first game. Remember, he transferred from Alabama, and I, I just am... Um, I want to keep following this story. Talia Tungvaloa, this kid who... A, a younger brother I, from a great family, and a guy I'm rooting for who his teammates seem to... Really, you know, watch the body language on the sideline, how they interact... They rallied around Talia. They like him. They believe in him. And I, I just want to say that I, I saw what he did on Friday night against Minnesota and went, first of all, yes, that's awesome. Uh, I breathed a sigh of relief, and I just felt – I feel really good, and I'm really excited to watch how Talia continues to progress as the year goes on. So that, that was awesome. Warmed my heart. Made me very, very happy. Now, this next topic is a topic that – First of all, there's two reasons why I'm a little bit nervous about this topic. Number one, there's a name that's hard to pronounce that I, I still am wrapping my brain around how to properly say it. And, you know, I, it takes research, but even the research I've found, there's a lot of contrasting stuff. I've heard. So there's a name that's hard to pronounce. And then we're talking about COVID. And COVID is a inherently very polarizing, um, you know, a, a topic that makes people fiery angry. And I don't, I'm not trying to make anybody angry. I'm just trying to do my job. And this thing happened. I want to talk about it, some of the implications. So first of all, I want to be clear. I'm not a doctor, like, at all. I'm a, a dumb kid who played college football who loves football and I love storytelling. 
and I, I just, I'm passionate about storytelling, and the story here is interesting to me. Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence got COVID, uh, tested positive. He's going to miss the Boston College game. It's 6.53 in the morning uh, here on the West Coast. The game starts at 9. There's no way. I don't think this breakout's going to come out before the game starts. So whatever I say here is kind of like a time capsule of interesting information. We'll see how it works out. So he's going to miss the Boston College game. And I, first of all, I think Trevor's going to be okay. Um, you know, my, my limited understanding of COVID, it seems like Trevor does not belong to the population of people who are struggling when they get COVID. Now, some people get COVID and they have an underlying issue or they're old or they have heart disease and they really struggle. Or it seems like randomly, and I don't I, look again, I'm not a doctor. I have no idea. Certain people I know have gotten COVID and they're horribly sick and it really affects them and it's, it's hard. And I, those people that I know were either smoking a lot or were uh, working a crazy schedule or there's always some reason why their health was a little bit compromised and they had a lot of trouble. Trevor Lawrence is at peak health uh, and I, everything I've seen seems okay. So I think Trevor's going to be okay. And I, please don't hate me. I'm not, I'm not trying to be flippant. COVID is a, uh, you know, the, I hate that it got politicized and there's a lot of <sighs> wear a mask, be safe. Like I got to say all that stuff, but I, I think Trevor's going to be okay. That's, I think we're saying got great doctors at his disposal. Uh, I have every confidence that Trevor Lawrence will be okay. And if he's not, that, that'd be surprising. Remember Trevor, the, the reason why this is such a big deal is that Clemson is a, you know, one of the top teams in college football. They're undefeated. Trevor is believed to be the number one overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft. But I, I think Trevor's going to be okay. I also am under the impression that Clemson's going to be okay. I, and I even maybe secretly, this moment's going to make Clemson a little bit better as a football team. So the backup quarterback for Clemson is DJ, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this last name. I apologize. It's a name that I've – it kind of reminds me of when Tua Tungvaloa came onto the scene and you heard, had people saying, Tagovailoa, Tungvaloa, like people just screwed it up. They butchered it horribly. And as I look up DJ, I'm going to say either – I think it's either Ugalele or Ungalele. Um, as, I, as I listen to people on TV and I look up YouTube videos to try to figure out how to pronounce his name – I hear lots of conflicting pronunciations. Some people say Ungalele. Some people say Ugalele. I've heard other people say like Uigalele. I'm like, what? what's going on? So DJU, I have no idea how to say that last name. I apologize. I'm sure at some point I'll figure it out because he's going to be, he's a really good quarterback. He killed it in high school. He was a, a really top rated high school prospect. He looks really good. He plays a little bit already coming off the bench and doing some interesting stuff for Clemson. I have every confidence that DJU is going to be incredible for Clemson. And whenever Trevor passes on, he's the next dude. And I actually, this is why the moment might be somewhat good for the Clemson football team. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You lost your quarterback. But you're playing a Boston College team this week. who They're 4-2. and two, They're not a slouch. But I think having DJ Ungalele play, DJ, U, DJ, we'll call him DJU, having DJ play in a game like this that matters, that's important, is actually valuable reps and valuable learning for him to do he's going to be the guy next year when trevor lawrence presumably leaves the program and so i i think clemson's gonna be okay they have a really good quarterback dj stepping up to the plate now that trevor's out for a game uh at least a game and i I again i think that this is really valuable experience for dju playing a good meaningful game i think he's gonna play well 
And I think long-term for the Clemson program, at least for next year, this is great because it lets their, their future quarterback have a game to get his nerves out. Then, you know, next year when he's a starting quarterback, he'll be able to say, I already started a game in college. I'm okay. My nerves are gone. I've done this before. I've been here. I did well. So I think all around, I think it's actually somewhat of a net gain for Clemson. I am assuming they're going to win uh, in like two hours when they play Boston College. And um, personally, I think I'm excited to watch DJ Gill. Like from an, a, from a, an ACC perspective, Boston College Clemson was probably not going to be this great game. Now it's way more interesting, actually, because Trevor Lawrence is out. And we're going to see this young, you know, new quarterback play for Clemson. So I actually, I think everybody wins here except for Trevor Lawrence. He got COVID, which is uh, um, unfortunate. Now, I want to shift gears to this. On Thursday Night Football, the Falcons beat the Carolina Panthers 25-17. to And uh, something weird happened as I looked at my notes from this game. I don't exactly know why. But it's weird that as I look through my notes, most of the things I had to say were about the Carolina Panthers. Um, And part of it is that I guess I genuinely find the Carolina Panthers a lot more interesting than the Falcons. You know, Carolina's rebuilding. The Falcons fired their head coach. Uh, Their season appears to be over. One team is building, and I think the process of building a team is interesting where the Falcons, are, they fired their coach, so they're at the end of whatever cycle they're on. They're going to need to hire a new guy. They'll be building next year. So I, I go, ah, I'm just not interested in the Falcons very much. And I will say this. For Falcons fans who want to hear about their team, here's my little, what I have to say about the Falcons so far in this game. I, I, first of all, good win by them. Uh, awesome. Interesting. But what I want to say is I was 100% right about Todd Gurley. Remember the... The Rams released Todd Gurley, their running back. And I said that was a good move because they were overpaying Todd Gurley. He's had knee problems. He's not quite the same as he once was for a little flash in his career. But then I also said the Rams have to release Todd Gurley. They're paying him more than he deserves, and that's a bad deal for them. They got to get out of it. But I also said somebody's going to pick up Todd Gurley, and he's going to do well because Todd Gurley— in my opinion, still had something left in the tank. And right now, he's proving me very, very much right where the dude has eight touchdowns in eight games so far this year. Now, he's a game ahead of everybody, so that the stats are skewed. But Todd Gurley's right now the third leading rusher in the NFL. Now, the, other, the rest of the league will play week eight and catch up to him, and probably a lot of people will pass him. But still, people that were like, Todd Gurley's washed up and terrible, they were totally wrong. Todd Gurley is catching the ball well. He's got eight touchdowns. He uh, is running well, making some good cuts. He's not like some superstar player, but he's got some solid football left in him. And so uh, I, I, uh, I'm I, happy to say that Todd Gurley was a good signing by the Falcons. It's working out. They got the running back they needed. He has helped them a little bit. And uh, yeah, other than the, the, the mo- mistake he made against the Lions last week, Todd Gurley's been a great signing for the Falcons. Now the Panthers. I... Uh, Every chance I get, I try to talk about, because I know that not everybody hears everything I say. You know, people pick and choose, and some videos they watch, and some stuff they don't, and not everybody listens to the full podcast. I love everything the Carolina Panthers are doing. Their owner, David Tepper, is awesome. Uh, They hired this great coach, Matt Rule, a young guy who's got great energy, who cares about his players, who cares about doing things the right way, and he's rebuilt multiple, he rebuilt 
uh, Temple. He rebuilt Baylor. I have every confidence he's going to rebuild the Carolina Panthers. So far, I'm seeing a lot of progress, and they're playing good football. And then they got this awesome offensive coordinator, the guy from who helped Joe Burrow at LSU do what he did and win a Heisman Trophy, Joe Brady. He's the offensive coordinator there. And I, I love what the Panthers have done so far. And they've also done a really good job finding value in free agency and even on their roster. This new coaching staff has looked around, you know, analyzed the roster and said, how can we use what we have effectively? They brought in a guy named Mike Davis, who no one had ever heard of. He got cut by some team in the NFC North last year, either the, I think the Lions, but maybe it's the, the Bears. Well, as Christian McCaffrey got hurt, Mike Davis really stepped up. He's playing well. He's catching passes. He's breaking tackles. Mike Davis is awesome. This running back for the Carolina Panthers. He had a play where down to the red zone, got stuffed initially, kept fighting, turned his feet, got out of it, got like 12 yards, uh, 17 yards in the rush, actually. Just just fighting hard, running hard, lowering your shoulder. Uh, Curtis Samuel is a guy who is listed as a receiver for Carolina. And they line him up everywhere. Joe Brady really is understood. Curtis Samuel's very versatile. They line him up as a, re- a receiver. He had four catches for 31 yards and a touchdown ca- receiving on a flea flicker on Thursday night. The Panthers also at times line him up in the backfield. Literally, he plays running back sometimes and will run inside between the tackles and run really hard like a running back. You go, that dude's a receiver? He looks like a, he runs exactly like a running back. It's baffling and really cool. And he had another three carries for 23 yards and a second touchdown on Thursday against the Falcons. So Curtis Samuel, versatile, a guy they like. They signed Robbie Anderson. They brought him in from the New York Jets. And Robbie Anderson is a speedy deep threat, a guy who is known for stretching the field, but I thought in New York wasn't really known for anything other than running vertically. And the Carolina Panthers have challenged him. They're expanding his route tree. They're using him. They're using his speed to do other things beyond just running in a straight line. I like what they're doing there. They also have a good weapon, DJ Moore at receiver. He had a great catch at the end of this game. So I, I really like the direction that the Panthers are headed in. They have this young defense, a lot, of, um, a lot of rookies. That's kind of a problem for them as they're still learning how to play defense, but Another problem the Panthers have is that their offensive line gives up way too much pressure inside. And uh, their young defensive tackle, their first-round pick, Derek Brown, is still learning. He's growing. He has moments where uh, he's dominant in the running game where he just, like, stonewalls a guy, fights through a block, gets a sack, or, sorry, gets a tackle on the running game, gives great effort, but it's also moments where he gets pushed around and is still working on his technique, but I think overall Derek Brown is a guy that they like. He's, he's so far mostly positive, and uh, he's in the process of figuring things out. And I love Thursday Night Football. I don't know that anybody watches Thursday Night Football. A lot of these games are bad. I remember the Dolphins and Jaguars. People are like, why is this a Thursday Night game? And I think part of it is people, re- the NFL realizes that people are busy on Thursday Night. They're not expecting to get gigantic ratings because not everybody's going to watch anyway. So they often put teams that are less popular. But what I like about it is it pushes a team like the Panthers or the Falcons into the national spotlight. They dominate the media for a Friday. And that's, that's cool. They get more airtime on national shows than they normally would because of their spotlight national game. And I thought there were two cool moments in this game that I'm going to remember for a while. Number one, it was uh, Dante Jackson picking off Matt Ryan. He's playing injured. His toe is messed up for the Panthers, and uh, he picked off Matt Ryan. I went, oh, Dante Jackson, fighting through an injury early on, got, was getting shredded by Julio Jones. 
still I thought was a net gain for this game. Unfortunately, they lost, and that sucked. Um, But I thought Dante Jackson's interception was a big play for the Panthers. Also, the Panthers ran this fake field goal where it was fourth and nine on their own 32-yard line. You're deep in your own territory. That's a gutsy call to go for it and get a run a fake punt, a direct snap to the, the up back on that position. They kind of recognize, hey, there's a weakness in the way the Falcons return punts. They're not actually, they're vulnerable here. There's nobody on the right side of their line. They got the direct snap, ran for like 28 yards down the right sideline. And uh, what a gutsy call on a fourth and nine under own 32. It actually set up a field goal for the Panthers. That was great. Helped them get three points. So I loved that call. Now, we do have to talk about the Carolina Panthers quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. I really like Teddy Bridgewater, and I want to love him, but I don't. And I'll tell you why I don't in a second. First of all, he's a great story. He's a good dude. People love him. He's a great leader. Got hurt a few years ago. He tore his ACL and also dislocated his kneecap. It was horrific. Uh, He made a great comeback. It's cool. It's heartwarming. I love that. And I think Teddy makes really good decisions. He's actually been a good pairing with Jill Brady. He's got an average arm, but again, he's a good leader. People like him, and he does a lot of the little things right. Most of the time, you go, ah, it's, uh, he's a good good quarterback. But here's Teddy's problem, and it's the difference between Teddy Bridgewater being a you know fill-the-gap, duct-tape quarterback, a short-term solution, and if Teddy can clean this up and fix this problem, he might become the long-term solution in Carolina at the quarterback spot. The Panthers are three and five. And Carolina has lost three games where Teddy Bridgewater made a crucial mistake at the end. And, you know, there was an interception against the Bears on the final drive for the Panthers. A linebacker undercut the ball. It was a bad read, a bad decision. Didn't like it. I'm like, oh, that's the first sign of, ah, Teddy, that's, you gotta, you're driving your team down the field to try to make this happen. And you didn't at the end of the game. Or in the Saints game last week, the it's third down, and Teddy Bridgewater took a really bad sack, lost eight yards holding onto the ball too long, and that pushed the field goal attempt that would have tied the game you know, back from, I think it was uh, a 57-yard field goal. They lost eight yards. So that's a, it, was, it, was, it was a 65-yard field goal. I know they lost eight yards, so it must have been what would have been a the math says what would have been a 57-yard field goal became a 65-yard field goal. And I only know two of the numbers there, but, you know, 65 plus, minus 8 is 57. So uh, that losing 8 yards or holding onto the ball too long, taking a sack, that really hurt his team because the 65-yard field goal attempt was dead center down the middle, a great kick, and about a foot short. It literally, if it was a... 63 or 64 yard field goal attempt, it would have been good. So Teddy cost his team an opportunity to tie the game there by taking a late sack. That's a second mistake of the year where I go, Teddy, it's the end of the game. You can't make that mistake if you want to be the long-term starting quarterback here in Carolina. And then in the Falcons game, they're down eight points, but they had the ball where they got the ball two minutes and 58 seconds left. It was third down. And Teddy throws the ball into traffic, gets picked off, costs his team an opportunity to tie the game, uh, to, you know, to make a, a two-point game, then a two-point conversion would have tied the game. So Teddy, I love Teddy Bridgewater. I like, I, I like Teddy Bridgewater. I want to love him. 
But in three of the five losses for the Carolina Panthers this year, Teddy Bridgewater's made a crucial mistake at the end of a game. And he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. It seems like Teddy only makes mistakes at the end of a game. But it's hurting his team. And that is Teddy Bridgewater's problem right now. It's not He's doing good stuff. He's making pretty good decisions. I really like his pre-snap reads. He's great at identifying matchups. Does a lot of stuff that I really... Joe Burrow did really well last year at LSU. The problem is Teddy is a, has got an average arm, and he's also making really bad mistakes at the end of a game. And you can't have that if you want to be the long-term franchise quarterback, the long-term solution for a Carolina Panthers team that wants to win. They're working hard to make it happen, and uh, they're doing a lot of stuff right. they got to get the quarterback right, and Teddy Bridgewater's got to clean things up or else he's going to get replaced in Carolina. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will do predictions for NFL Week 8, and then we'll talk about some rumors regarding the trade deadline, some fun stuff. Is is Matt Ryan really on the trade deadline or on the on the trading block? Are the Jets going to trade Sam Darnold? I don't know. We'll talk about it. It'll be fun. I got a lot to say about it. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. I'm going to say back again because I back. It feels so like quiet. I'll be right back. Have a good day. All right. We are back. I hope you're doing well. Let's just jump right in. I want to talk about sports. Week eight of the NFL season is here. I want to jump in and do some predictions. Really exciting week ahead of us. I'm very, very pumped for what's to come. There's some games that I just look at and go, oh, my gosh. That's going to be fun. Remember, the way I do predictions is I pick the general theme of a game. I don't always pick a winner, but I do want to start with probably the two least exciting games, in my opinion, where the winner feels very, very obvious. So New York is playing two dominant teams in the NFL this week. On Monday Night Football, you have the Buccaneers and the Giants. That's Tom Brady, his loaded offense with a ton of weapons, a really good Buccaneers defense against the Giants, who are a team... That is rebuilding. Uh, They do have an interesting young quarterback. Interesting because I'm not sure whether he's good or not yet. We're kind of, he's in limbo. We're waiting to see. I just need more for me personally to make a decision on whether Daniel Jones is going to work in the NFL or not. I just need a larger sample size. I want more and more information. I'm going to be very interested to see how Daniel Jones handles what I look at as a very good Buccaneers defense. The question is, I think Daniel Jones might get shut down. Uh, they got a good pass rush. They have two really good corners. And I I, I just wonder if Daniel Jones can make good decisions. I don't expect him to light anybody up. But can he take care of the ball? Is he going to have a few a turnover? Like, no turnovers would be really great for Daniel Jones. If they lose but Daniel Jones has no turnovers and plays a clean game, that'd be a really big win for them. But the Buccaneers should win this game very, very easily. Now, the New York Jets play the Kansas City Chiefs this week. The Chiefs should win easily as well. It's a total mismatch. It's one of the best teams in the NFL against one of the very worst teams in the NFL. And uh, the Jets appear destined for the number one overall pick. They just are terrible. There's even rumors they're going to trade their starting quarterback, Sam Darnold. So I, I think, man, the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes are so good. And then they somehow, Kansas City still somehow has an underrated defense. They're very, very good on defense as well. And I think the Jets are going to get blown out and beaten very easily by Kansas City. I know. You're like, whoa, Zach, slow down. Controversial take. The Jets lose to the Chiefs. Yeah, obviously that's what's going to happen. And uh, no reason to spend any more time talking about it. Now, the Rams and the Dolphins is a game that 
I don't know. I would not count out the Miami Dolphins here. A lot of people are like, the Rams are going to win very easily. I don't feel that way. All eyes are going to be on the rookie quarterback for the Dolphins, Tua Tungavaloa, making his very first start ever in the NFL. But I'm actually really excited to watch Miami's defense. How does their defense play against Sean McVay's offense? Miami's defense against Sean McVay's offense for the Rams. That's the matchup I'm really excited for. Miami's defense is better than people give them credit for. They play man coverage really well. They got a couple of good corners. And uh, I would not count out the Dolphins there simply because of their defense. Now, Tua and the Dolphins' offense, the key here is their game plan. They're playing against the Rams' defense with a really good corner, Jalen Ramsey, and Aaron Donald, who I believe is the most dominant defensive lineman in the entire NFL. He takes over games. He can stuff the run inside. He also, as a defensive tackle, can generate a lot of pressure inside, and also that helps the people on the outside, the edge rushers around him, Aaron Donald is problem number one. Jalen Ramsey is problem number two. The Dolphins need to find a way to get the ball out of Tua Tungavaloa's hands very quickly. A lot of quick game, some screens maybe. Get the ball out of his hands quickly. Um, I think this is a very tough defense to have your first NFL start against because you got a great corner on the outside, a guy who's going to generate a lot of pressure inside. I don't envy Tua, but also I heard someone, I can't remember who said this. Maybe it was one of my friends, I don't know. Someone was talking about how you can't hide your quarterback from a defense. Everybody has got a dude somewhere, and that's totally accurate. I mean, it, I I don't know that Tua is going to do great in this game, but you can't just be like, well, we like he's our best quarterback. We like him. We want to see what he has. But since we're playing a good defense, let's shield him away from this one this week. I don't think that's the right way to do it either. So if Tua's awful, I wouldn't panic. Remember, Tua's little brother, Talia, had a horrible first game at Maryland. On Friday night, last night, just dominated Minnesota. was phenomenal. So one game is not a big enough sample size to get a good read on whether a guy is going to succeed or fail. So if Tua's like really struggles or is you know, awkward at first in the NFL, don't panic. But I, I don't know. Because of the Dolphins' defense, I would not count them out of this game. The, the Dolphins have an opportunity to beat the Rams on Sunday. Do not count them out. Now, the Raiders and the Cleveland Browns. Oh, man. Um... This is, these are two teams that have quarterbacks that I don't yet trust, even though I want to. Baker Mayfield and Derek Carr, two guys who, oh man, I so badly want them to be better, right? And, and Baker has played really well last week. Derek Carr has played well at times. And the Browns and the Raiders are weirdly similar franchises right now where they want to run the ball really well. They have young defense, which is making progress and growing on defense, and the Raiders have a rookie receiver, Henry Ruggs, who I think could be a wild card in this game. He has a knack for, he did it earlier in the year, making big plays. Against the Chiefs, he had two really big catches where you go, oh, my gosh. Henry Ruggs is a freak of nature, and he is dominant physically and could generate a big play in this game. Now, I believe that the Browns are a more talented roster from top to bottom. I think the Browns win this game. It could be close, though, but the matchup I'm really interested in Miles Garrett is the defensive end for the Browns. He is dominant. He is really, really... It feels like the NFL hasn't really understood to this point of the year that if you leave Miles Garrett in a one-on-one matchup, he's going to get after your quarterback. He will create a tackle for loss. He will sack your quarterback. He will get a forced fumble. Miles Garrett might have a big day against the Raiders unless they take him very seriously and double-team him nearly every play. 
And uh, for whatever reason this year, people have not taken Miles Garrett seriously enough, and it makes no sense to me whatsoever. How about the Titans and the Bengals? The Titans should win this game easily. They're a better team. They got uh, you know a good quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. They got a good running back, Derrick Henry. They run the ball well. They play good defense. However, I believe the Titans win this game. I'm still excited to watch the Browns, uh, excuse me, the Bengals rookie quarterback. Have I said Browns? The Titans Bengals. I'm excited to watch the Bengals rookie quarterback, Joe Burrow, against this really good Titans defense. It's a good opportunity for Joe Burrow to grow and learn and get challenged by a good defense. So I believe the Tennessee Titans beat the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday. But I also think that whether I think the Titans win, it's still interesting to watch how Joe Burrow handles this really good Titans defense. Sunday night football is going to be a mess. You have the Eagles and the Cowboys. Sunday night, uh, the Cowboys are likely going to be playing Ben DiNucci at quarterback. He's a rookie seventh-round pick out of James Madison. He started the year as their third-string quarterback. Dak got hurt. Andy Dalton got hurt. And this is a game that the Philadelphia Eagles have to win. There's a lot of pressure on the Eagles. There's a lot of pressure on their quarterback, Carson Wentz. The Cowboys are a mess. You cannot lose this game to the Cowboys. They're awful. I think that the Eagles could run the ball really, really well in this game. The Cowboys' run defense is atrocious. And uh, I, I'm picking the Eagles to win this game. They'd better win this game. And if the Cowboys beat the Eagles on Sunday night, I don't. I, it's just uh, it, it would compound that the NFC is even worse than I thought, right? It looks like the Cowboys are horrible. And if the Eagles are bad enough to lose to the terrible Cowboys, I just go, I, it's an endless rabbit hole of horrible, awful football. And it's just, uh, it, uh, the NFC East is, a, East is a mess anyway. The Eagles cannot afford to lose to the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. Now, the 49ers and the Seahawks, this game could go either way. I honestly wish, wish this was the Sunday night game. It's a great matchup. Both teams are well coached. It's really Russell Wilson against the Kyle Shanahan designed a 49ers offense. I'm excited to watch that matchup. It's fun. It's interesting. The 49ers have a ton of injuries. And so I'm going to pick Seattle. I, for me personally, I look at this game and go, what could be the deciding factor late in this game? It's Russell Wilson. And I, I, I just believe in Russell Wilson here to elevate his team and win this game. And if you said, hey, who's going to win? At the, you know, last year, Russell Wilson made the 49ers games really, really close and really, really interesting when the 49ers were at full strength. This year, they're injured. They're hurt. They're not at full strength. Uh, the 49ers pass rush is not what it once was last year. And so I think the Seahawks win this game. But it's interesting. It feels like a coin toss. I'm going to go Seattle here simply because I buy into Russell Wilson taking over and dominating late in this game to make it happen. However, weird side note, for whatever reason, Seattle seems to just be just a, a team that doesn't know how to figure it out in the fourth quarter. Every time I watch Seattle in primetime, they make an odd mistake at the end of the fourth quarter that costs them the game, it feels like, or makes it really interesting and close for no reason. So it's a toss-up. I'm picking Seattle here simply because of Russell Wilson, but it's going to be a really fun, interesting game regardless. Now, the L.A. Chargers against the Denver Broncos. It's a AFC West divisional game. I'm so excited. It's going to be really, really fun. You have two young quarterbacks here, Justin Herbert against Drew Locke. That's the the story here that's interesting. Both teams have good rosters, by the way. I think Justin Herbert's going to shine. I think Justin Herbert 
is probably the more the more talented quarterback here. And Drew Locke, I watched him play the Patriots, had two late interceptions. It's hard for me to have I, – I don't know. I, I have no idea who's going to win here. I'm excited to watch it. It feels like a toss-up where either team could win. But I, I, here's my prediction for this game. I don't know who's going to win this game. I, I, I do believe Justin Herbert lights up the stat sheet. He's going to be great. I would hope Drew Locke does. I don't know. Uh, it feels hit or miss. Remember the – Against the Patriots, the Broncos had six field goals. Like, it's just, they couldn't finish drives. Drew Locke had two interceptions late, which is just bad plays and bad decisions. And so here's my my one prediction from this game I will make. I don't know which one it will be, but this game is going to be decided by a late mistake by one of these young quarterbacks. Whoever doesn't have the late mistake by a young quarterback is going to win this game between the Chargers and the Broncos. How about the Vikings and the Packers? Another another divisional game, the NFC North this time. The Vikings and the Packers. I This is a game the Packers should win. Should win. But should doesn't necessarily mean they will win. That's an important key there. I know Minnesota has problems. Uh, their offense is embarrassing and it looks, you know, just inept and really bad. Kirk Cousins is a problem. Has a name it's hard to say even. But Minnesota, for all their problems, they always have a good game plan on defense. That's the one thing you can count on is that Minnesota, even on games where they give up a lot of, a lot of points, they always have a moment where I go, that's a great design on defense. That's a great scheme. That's a great blitz. That's a great this or that. So the matchup here to watch, obviously, in my opinion, is how Aaron Rodgers plays against Mike Zimmer's defense. The Vikings really interesting, well-coached, and disciplined defense but at the end of the day, I want you to ask yourself. I think the Packers win this game. Ask yourself this. Do you really think that a Kirk Cousins-led team has any opportunity and any chance to beat a really good Packers team led by Aaron Rodgers? I, I certainly have no confidence in Kirk Cousins in this moment. I don't know why you would. And so I think the Packers win by a lot here. Uh, but again, Aaron Rod- the best matchup here is Aaron Rodgers against that Vikings defense. And that's, that's not saying much because I think that the, the opposite is, is just a bad matchup. I think Kirk Cousins might get horribly uh, – it might, it might be bad here. Now, I want to talk about the Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I want to come clean here. As I prepared this topic, I was thinking about the, the games this week, and you have you – know, here are the best games in my opinion this week. I have the Raiders-Browns should be really interesting. Feels like a coin toss. Chargers-Broncos should be really interesting. The Seahawks and the 49ers. What makes a good game, in my opinion, going in, is when I look at the matchup and I go, I don't know who's going to win. And when I think I don't know who's going to win, I go, I'm excited to watch that because I'm going to learn something and see hopefully something interesting that comes down to the wire. Last week, Titans-Steelers, I felt that way. And I thought that when I started preparing this topic, I was going to say, Raven-Steelers is going to be a really good, really interesting game. One team is, you know, 6-0, and one team is 5-1. and Like, oh, yeah, a matchup that I don't know who's going to win. And then I thought about it more and more and more. And I actually think the Steelers win this game. I'm comfortable picking a winner here. I think the Steelers win. Here's why. The Steelers play the run better than any other defense in the NFL. The strength of the Steelers is stopping the run. The Steelers, in fact, they shut down Derrick Henry last week 
for the Tennessee Titans. I was like, how did you limit Derrick Henry to that few yards on that many carries? I went, wow, that's a big deal. And then I think about, you know, I feel really strongly about the, I love the weapons the Steelers have. They have Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, who's really great after the catch, making people miss. James Washington is a receiver that makes good catches down the sideline. You have Eric Ebron, James Conner, Benny Snell, who's really made himself a whole new guy. The Ravens have Marcus Peters at corner, who's a guy that I, I think is really good, but he takes a lot of risks. And I, I think Big Ben could have a big day here. And this feels like a prove-it game for the Ravens quarterback, Lamar Jackson. The Steelers are lined up to do really well here. You know, they stop the run well. That's what the Ravens do. Their strength is. The Steelers have a really good offense. It makes a lot of plays. Lamar Jackson's got to step up in this game for the Ravens and win with his arm. I don't know that he can. I, I don't want to. I'm not trying to trash Lamar Jackson. I love Lamar. I think he's awesome. I think he's a... Uh, the, the human being is so cool. That I think every time Lamar proves anybody wrong, I love it. I'm not trying to hate on the guy at all. And I hope, I hope Lamar comes out on Sunday and throwing the ball shreds the Pittsburgh Steelers. But it feels like this could be a moment where the matchup isn't good. And I, I guess what I'm saying here is we're going to learn a lot about Lamar Jackson. When the running game is taken away or when he's challenged in the running game a lot, can Lamar Jackson make plays with his arm late in a game to win and beat the Steelers on Sunday. That's what we will find out. That's what I can't wait to see. And I think the Steelers win this game. I'll say it out loud. As I look it through the, through the matchup, the way the Steelers play the run, their offensive weapons, I believe the Pittsburgh Steelers win this game. It'll be really fun to watch. I hope you do. And I have concern about Lamar Jackson. Now, the Patriots and the Bills. Both teams have been playing really badly. Now, the Bills are 5-2. and two. The Patriots are 2-4. and four. And at the end of the day, the Bills have more talent, but the Bills got embarrassed by the Titans. They got beat pretty badly by the Chiefs. Uh, they played badly last week against the Jets and barely won. They had the, the the Bills had six field goals last week to beat the Jets. They only won eighteen to twelve or eighteen to eighteen to ten. I think eighteen to ten. Yeah, I think because eight, eight, yeah, the Jets were up ten to nothing. So uh, the Bills beat the Jets eighteen to ten last week, and I went. I, that's not an impressive win at all. Like, they were supposed to clean things up, and they didn't. And I've been begging Buffalo to please run the ball, and they have it repeatedly. So you you do have the Patriots. Cam Newton coming off of a, a game with three interceptions. The Patriots do not have Julian Edelman. And I have no confidence in the Patriots' offense. So I still believe the Bills are going to win this game. But I do say I, I, I hate betting against the Patriots. It makes me uncomfortable. So I'm going to pick the Bills here to win this game. Neither team has been very impressive recently, and it feels like two teams that have been trending downward, and it could go either way, but at the end of the day, the Bills have more talent. They should win. I guess maybe that's the angle here is the pressure's on Buffalo. They should win this game. The question is, will they? Especially, I mean, think about it. I'm sorry to stay on this game for a second, but in the AFC East, the Patriots have dominated for so stinking long. And people really, really, really want to see the Bills finally take control of this division. I don't know that they can. I will find out. That's what this game is going to be about this week is can the Bills beat their long-standing team? That's do- the, Bill- the Patriots have dominated the Bills for a long, long time. Can the Bills get revenge and finally take out the Patriots? That's what I am curious to watch on Sunday. 
Now, the Colts and the Lions, I'm tentatively going to pick the Colts. They have a much better roster. Uh, but I I always say this about the Lions, and they were it was proven right last week by the Falcons. And it was proven right by—we've seen this multiple times this year where— if you give the Lions opportunities, the Lions beat the Cardinals, the Lions beat the Falcons last week on a oh, the last second touchdown with two seconds left. If you give Detroit an opportunity to beat you, they will. They've done it time and time again. And the Colts quarterback, Phillip Rivers, has a habit, a frustrating habit of throwing boneheaded, bad, embarrassing interceptions in terrible moments. And although Phillip is getting more and more comfortable, he had a good game last time I watched him, the key to this game is Phillip Rivers. If Phillip Rivers doesn't play well or has a bad interception late, Detroit will beat them. You have to play clean. And I don't know that the Colts can. We'll find out. I'm picking the Colts because they're a better team. But my fear is that Phillip Rivers is going to get in his own way and give the Lions an opportunity to win this game on Sunday. Now, the final game of the week I'm going to talk about I guess the final game I haven't talked about yet this week because I'm talking about all of them. The Saints play the Bears, and this feels like a really weird game because the Bears are 5-2, and two, but a lot of people doubt them. They don't feel good about them. The Saints are 4-2, and two, and it's also a game where you have strength versus strength where the Saints' offense against the Bears' defense. The Bears' defense is really good. The Saints' offense is their strength, and a lot of people are doubting Nick Foles, the Bears' quarterback. I believe in Nick Foles in this moment. Here's why. It has to kind of have to do with the Saints because I don't trust the Saints defense at all. But it's also a crucial moment for Chicago because they are at a focal point in their season. They need their quarterback, Nick Foles, to step up. He's got like the stat line for him is like six touchdowns and six interceptions. It's been a really rocky, uneven season, even though they're five and two. And so... Nick Foles has got to make plays here. I think he can. I don't have a lot of confidence in the Saints' defense. I I believe in Nick Foles here. And it's also worth noting that the Saints have no Michael Thomas again. And the Saints barely beat the Panthers last week. And, you know, without Michael Thomas, uh, they barely beat the Panthers. I also got to recognize that the Bears' defense is a lot better than what they're going to play. They played in Carolina. So... I kind of see it that if the Bears offense can score 20 points or more, maybe more than 20 points, if the Bears offense can score 21 points or more, they can win this game because the Saints have given up more than 20 points every single game so far this year. I like the minimum is like 24, actually. They gave up 24 to the Raiders, I believe. Uh, no, they scored 24. They gave up 34 to the Raiders. So my point here is that remember when Derek Carr shredded the Saints? That was a moment where I went, oh, I don't, I don't trust the Saints defense at all. And I look at Nick Foles and go, Nick Foles could do it. Derek Carr did. So I'm picking the Bears to win this game simply because I don't trust the Saints' defense. Uh, the Saints don't have Michael Thomas, and they're playing a good defense, Chicago, with Khalil Mack, who can generate a lot of pressure against Drew Brees and cause Drew Brees a lot of problems. So the Bears will beat the Saints on Sunday. Those are all my picks. Hope you enjoyed them. I, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, I need to take a minute to let my mouth reset. Uh, we'll talk about NFL trade rumors. The trade deadline is coming up. Is Sam Darnold going to get traded by the Jets? We'll talk about it. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm taking a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, I want to start by asking you guys a question. You may or may not know the answer to this. I am a, I'm looking for something for my girlfriend, and I, I want to just give the internet this question so you guys can answer if you have it. Um, 
Is there anywhere else to buy Baja Blast other than at Taco Bell? Can you buy cans of Baja Blast? I heard Walmart maybe, but I don't know. And I'm going to look at Walmart after I record this because I want to get her something that, like nice that she'll really appreciate and is touching and meaningful to her. And that like Baja Blast is literally her favorite thing. But I, I don't know if they sell it anywhere. And I'm, I'll check Walmart. I've heard maybe Walmart has it. But if you're out there listening and you know somewhere that has Baja Blast that you can give to somebody that's not just from a fountain at Taco Bell, please let me know because uh, I'm looking for a gift for my girlfriend. Now, I want to talk about NFL trade rumors because the NFL trade deadline is on Tuesday, November 3rd. It's coming up rapidly. And first of all, there's a couple of crazy rumors going around that I just do not believe or buy into, uh, you know, where there are people that are considering trading, you know, people, I keep hearing rumors like, we're going to trade the face of our franchise. And I, I just don't buy that. You know, first of all, if you, so the rumored guys are Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Matthew Stafford, Stefan Gilmore. I don't buy that any of those guys are going to get traded. I mean, if you trade Stephon Gilmore, the Patriots locker room is going to revolt and be really frustrated and irritated. They love him there. He's a leader there. If you And they just paid him, so what, it sends a terrible message to their locker room. If we pay you, then we immediately trade you. Uh, you're not going to trade away Julio Jones or Matt Ryan. You'd have so much dead cap on your salary cap you would owe them. Wouldn't make any sense. Now, maybe you trade Matt Ryan or... You know, uh, Matthew Stafford in the offseason, but uh, you don't trade him now. But trading them now doesn't benefit you at all. And it doesn't really benefit another team either. It'd just be a weird move that wouldn't make any sense. So I don't think Matthew Stafford, Hula Jones, or Matt Ryan, or Stephon Gilmore get traded. Maybe the fringe trade that I could see, maybe the conspiracy trade, I go like, ah, I could see that even though I think it won't happen, is Sam Darnold. Maybe the Jets trade Sam Darnold. I, the question really becomes, do the Jets like Sam Darnold or not? I mean, really, is the evaluation process over or are they still evaluating him? Because if you believe in him, you're not going to trade him, obviously. If you don't believe in him, then I could see a trade happening where they're like, we'll get whatever value we can, try to do worse and get a high draft pick because we want a new quarterback like Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. You're tanking at that point. Uh, but the, really, the question is whether or not the evaluation process is over. Now, there are eight names that I believe are on the trading block that could get traded. I want to discuss those discuss those trade options now. Um, and this is where a bad team would trade away somebody with potential value or, or even a starter to get draft picks. And a good team would trade for one of these players because they want to fill a hole or get a player that helps them push the, you know, get over the top or build for their future. So the first guy... Almost doesn't fit any of this stuff, actually. It's Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback in Washington. A 2019 first-round pick, 17th overall. He's now been benched uh, for a couple weeks ago. Like he got ben- A couple weeks ago, he got benched. There are, a lot of people say he's immature. Uh, you watch him on the sideline, and he's disengaged. He looks totally disinterested in talking about the strategy or what's going on. You, you see Kyle Allen and Alex Smith on the iPad And Dwayne Haskins is nowhere near them, not involved. So I don't think Washington wants Dwayne Haskins. Maybe you can get something for him. Now, not a lot, I don't think, but he's a former first-round pick. And somebody might just be like, let's see what talent he has. But I think the talent is some of the problem with Dwayne Haskins. A lot of it, though, is just attitude. And he's checked out and seemed disengaged. And that's a really big problem. I don't think anybody wants a quarterback who's like that. So somebody might trade a low pick for Dwayne Haskins, but you're not getting a lot for him. 
Um, and I, I, I think you only trade for trade him away if you're totally hopeless that you think he's got no shot of making it happen because I don't think you're getting a lot of value for Dwayne Haskins if you do trade him away. But what if like the Patriots traded for him? How cool would that be? I don't, I don't know if that happens, but the one place I'd love to see Dwayne Haskins go is the Patriots because they're going to say you're immature, you're not disciplined, shape up or get out of the NFL. You're not going to work here. So that'd be really interesting. Now, one guy I could see Washington trading away. And maybe, I don't, I don't know that I would trade him away, but it could happen. It's Ryan Kerrigan, uh, their edge rusher, where he's a veteran. And some team, really it makes sense for the team that would trade for Ryan Kerrigan, where Washington says he's a veteran, we, he's a leader, we love him, but you could get some good trade value for him. And because he's a veteran, he's probably not one of the future players that's going to you're building around in the next couple of years. Where a team like Seattle traded for Carlos Dunlap because they needed pass rush. They needed somebody to help them on the edge. Somebody might trade for Ryan Kerrigan because they need a pass rush and want help. They're a team that is trying to make a playoff push and needs help getting over the top. Uh, you know, a team like, I think this is a, I'm trying to think of what's a team that has nobody on the other side. What are the Browns traded for Ryan Kerrigan? I don't think they need him, but Miles Garrett on one side, Ryan Kerrigan on the other, that's terrifying. That'd be horrible. Or if the Rams traded for Ryan Kerrigan and paired him with Aaron Donald, where Aaron Donald's inside and Ryan Kerrigan could just eat coming off the edge. So I I, I don't know that I would trade Ryan Kerrigan away because he's a good leader. He's helping. But you also have a loaded defensive line with so much talent anyway. And, I, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. If you're a team like the 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 Rams or the, or the Browns and you need a pass rusher, want another one, Man, Ryan Kerrigan's a guy out there that I would go snatch up in a second. Now, another name out there that's been thrown around is the Browns tight end, David Njoku. Uh, He wants a trade, and the Browns do already have Austin Hooper at tight end and this new guy, Harrison Bryant. But here's why I would not trade David Njoku. It's because, yeah, you have two tight ends. Great. One of them's hurt Austin Hooper. He has been off and on. And then the other thing is you don't have Odell Beckham Jr. And I think the strength of the Browns right now is using play action and throwing to their tight ends. You're going to see a lot of two tight end sets for the Browns in the next couple weeks, in the next couple months. Why lose depth you don't need to lose? You have three tight ends. Hey, that's an embarrassment of riches. Heck yeah, you love that. Now, people would love to have David Njoku and he wants to get out of there. He wants more playing time. And a team like, oh my gosh, it was a team that doesn't have a... Almost every team could take David Joku and be very, very happy with his production and his ability to run routes and do little stuff. But I, I, if I'm the Browns, I say, yeah, we don't need him, but he's great to have. He might not be happy, and that might be such a big problem. You got to move him. But if you can have three tight ends and you're the Browns' offense that runs the ball a ton, you want as much depth of that position as possible. And I, I really think the Browns. There's no reason to trade David Njoku, um if you really think you're going to make a playoff push. But also, his contract is up and expiring, so maybe you just get whatever you can for him before he leaves. I, I mean, that makes sense. He wants out. Uh, so I could see it going either way. I don't think they're, they're going to keep him. I think they are going to trade him. But I don't know that I would because I like in that. In most offenses, you don't need three tight ends. In the Browns offense, running the ball, using two tight ends a lot, heavy play action, it can never hurt to have a third tight end around who can run good routes and get open downfield. Another tight end that could get traded is Evan Engram. Evan Engram from the, the Giants. Um, I, we'll see. There's a lot of frustration. Fans hate him. I think it makes less sense for the Giants to trade Evan Engram than 
it does for I mean the Giants. He's their tight end. He's been he's got bad drops. He really cost them uh, in their last game where you know had two drops that were key and killer that cost them the game against the Eagles, I believe, on Thursday night. Um, but I I mean I remember vividly he had a catch on the sideline. If he catches that ball, the Giants probably win the game, and it was the Eagles because the uh, Carson Wentz threw it on the field and won the game. So I. I think people are frustrated with Evan, Ing- Evan Ingram. I don't know that I would trade him away. I don't know that the value is worth what you're giving up, but I could see it happening, and he, he definitely does appear to be on the trading block. Now, John Ross is a potential trading block player for the uh, the the Cincinnati Bengals. He's a receiver. He's a former first-round pick. He's really fast and has been incredibly disappointing his entire career. Um, it's not working. It, just, it hasn't worked at all. John Ross has had... Next to no impact in Cincinnati his entire career. Looks like a bust at this point with injuries and ineffectiveness. But I think here's why someone might trade for him. Team like the Patriots have no weapons at receiver. And I don't know that I really doubt that John Ross is the answer to their problems. But somebody who's more desperate at receiver than the Cincinnati Bengals, who have T. Higgins and AJ Brown or AJ Green and a couple other interesting players. A team that could benefit from a receiver, might trade for John Ross, just like throwing a dart at a dartboard, hoping it lands, and the the bullet, the, uh, what's that, when you hit center, the, um, I can't, the, what's the word when you hit the center of the dartboard? I don't remember the word here. I honestly, a bullseye. You're you're throwing darts at a dartboard, hoping with your eyes closed, you hit a bullseye. Maybe John Ross, you bring him in, he's really speedy, you can work things around and fit his skill set. Maybe you can get something out of John Ross. I'm not confident you can. But a team that's desperate enough might make a trade based on he's really physically gifted, and we think we can fit him into our offense and build around his skill set and do something good with him. Like I, You think that Kyle Shanahan couldn't find a way to use his obvious physical talent to do something successful? I mean, that's maybe that's the scariest place that he could go is the 49ers. If the 49ers got John Ross and they use him in their— their fly sweeps and they run the ball with him and get the ball in his hands. Cause that's what you gotta do. Get the ball in John Ross's hands. I, the, the problem is doing that is, and maybe you have to run the ball with him. I don't know, but if anybody should trade for John Ross, it actually is now that they say it out loud, it is the 49ers. Cause Kyle Shanahan could design specific plays to take advantage of his blinding speed. He's really elusive to you had a play in the preseason a couple years ago where he caught a ball along the sideline like it did a 360, made have been missed and scored a touchdown. Too bad it was a preseason game. It didn't count. Um, but I, I think if anyone's going to trade for John Ross, it actually should be the 49ers because they could use him really effectively. Now, Jets linebacker Avery Williamson appears to be on the trading block. Uh, if the price is right, I don't see why not. I mean, he, he fits well with, I, I believe the Steelers are a team that would be a good fit with him based on their defense. Uh, the Jets want a top draft pick. They're happy with losing, I, I would believe. And if you can get good value for Avery Williamson, you might as well pull the trigger. It makes sense to me. That trade, totally get it. Now, the Falcons have two people I think are on the trading block. I would trade away Tack, uh, to Takaris, technically, but Tack McKinley. He's a former first-round pick. I really question Tack McKinley's love of the game. When I watch guys like you know, uh, Chase Young, Joey Bosa, uh, Nick Bosa, there's a lot of players on the league in the pass-rushing game that you hear guys talk about hand fighting, and especially after a game, you'll see people talk about, you know, their technique. And among defensive linemen in the NFL, there's a lot of sharing and a lot of talk of ideas. And it's like, hey, well, I'm trying to help you get paid too, because you're not competing against other defensive ends the same way. I, I, maybe you are, but I, 
they help each other a lot. If you ask questions, if you ask Joey Bosa a question and you're another defensive end, he's pretty inclined, even if you're on the other team, to help you. Tack McKinley has apparently, it seems like, has never ever asked anybody for help with his technique because his technique is awful. He's been really ineffective. He's hurt a lot. His effort is subpar. I would trade away Tack McKinley, and I don't know that anybody wants Tack McKinley. He's a former first-round pick. You might get something for him. Just people, again, some people, really good teams, throw darts at a dartboard hoping to get a bullseye, and maybe you can turn this guy who's really physically gifted into a good pass rusher by teaching him how to play. Uh, but Tack McKinley, I don't know, was self-motivated enough to do that because to this point, his his technique is problematic. And I don't know why you trading for him would suddenly change his whole mindset. I mean, he's now self-motivated and is going to work hard to change who he is and become a better player. Self-motivation is very important, and I don't know that Tack McKinley has very much of it. I mean, he's, he's obviously physically gifted. He's built way bigger than me. He'd kick my butt. But uh, I'm, I'm concerned about technique with Tack McKinley. Now, the final guy I want to talk about is the Falcons' center, Alex Mack. Uh, People say this trade makes sense because they have a replacement on their roster already, a young guy that could step in and play center. Um, And a a team that needs help on the offensive line could trade for Alex Mack and instantly be better. And I think a team like like the Bears, for example, are 5-2. They could use help on their offensive line. Uh, I think another team like the Panthers are not really in the hunt. But they could use a good offensive lineman. They could trade for him. Uh, so I, I, Alex Mack appears to be on the trading block. It makes sense because the Falcons fired the right coach. They're, you know, two and whatever. They're not very good, and they appear to be a team that is uh, getting ready for a rebuild in Atlanta. Now, the final thing I want to say about the NFL trade deadline is, I guess maybe pose a question: Are the Cowboys going to trade away anybody? The Cowboys are terrible. They don't look very good. They are paying a lot of people a lot of money. Like pay, they're overpaying Ezekiel Elliott. They're paying Demarcus Lawrence a lot of money. I wonder if the Cowboys are going to make any kind of move, whether they're trading for somebody or trading away somebody. Do the Cowboys make any kind of move with the NFL trade death? And that's what I'm really curious to find out. Do they trade for a quarterback? Do they trade away a guy who's they're paying a lot of money and maybe overpaying? Do they do they make any moves at the trade deadline that's interesting? Because the Cowboys are terrible. And I'm just fascinated with what they can do. Because I look at the Cowboys and go, I, I, I kind of am perplexed. I go, I don't know how to solve that problem. It's like a puzzle with a bunch of pieces that you lost. And you're like, I, you literally can't solve this puzzle. Even if you had every, even if every piece in front of you was put together, it still wouldn't have enough pieces. It's just a mess. Um, I, I don't know how you solve the Cowboys. And I'm curious, if they make any kind of move, it'd be noteworthy and interesting, in my opinion. All right, guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I really appreciate you. If anybody, again, knows where you can buy uh, Mountain Dew Baja Blast other than at Taco Bell, like I want to give my girlfriend a can because I'm trying to buy her uh, something meaningful, let me know. I would really appreciate that. Otherwise, have a great day. Enjoy football today. Have a great day. I love you so much. We'll talk about a lot of fun stuff on Monday. I got a new plan this week for how I'm approaching the show, um, and I feel very good about it. So look for a lot of content this week. Uh, I've done a lot of soul searching, and I... Uh, you know, my, my grandpa died, and that was a hard moment for me. But I think actually, to some degree, it kind of shook me to the core and maybe changed a lot of fundamental things I've been doing. Uh, I think it made the show better, weirdly enough. So love you. Have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are.